Amy. Based on the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer, it looks like Peter Parker's in some legal trouble. Yeah, and it seems like he could use a lawyer who knows a thing or two about living a double life. Marvel happens to have one on hand, and his name is Matt Murdock. So while we're on a season break, we're heading back to 2020 to bring you our commentary series on Daredevil Season 1. Just in case Mr. Murdock shows up in No Way Home, we could all use a refresher on The Devil of Hell's Kitchen. We'll be back Monday, November 8th to kick off Season 4 of The Marvelous Madams with an episode on Spider-Man Homecoming. There are a few people I would bash in with a bowling ball, but that is not for this recording. I keep asking, and I'm going to keep asking because at this point, I feel like I'm complicit. Where (laughs) are the bodies, Amy? (laughs) Welcome to the Marvelous Madams podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. We are burdened with the glorious purpose of talking all things Marvel. Madams, assemble. So Amy just spent the last five minutes explaining this episode to my confused ass. I think the reason you were so confused was because of all the bone protrusions and crunching. That just kind of blanked your mind out, didn't it? Possibly. But you know what it is, too? It's it's the whole concept of organized crime. So I am, Mm -hmm. as our loyal listeners know by now, I'm a huge true crime nerd. But I've never been... A fan of mob stuff, organized crime stuff. And I say that being from an Italian family from New Jersey. I know, shame on me. But (laughs) the reason being is because mob stuff, with the exception of, let's say, like 1920s, 30s, Depression era crime, mob stuff is boring as hell. It's boring. It's repetitive. And especially when it comes to, uh, you know, the Italian mafia, oh my God, get over yourselves. They're (laughs) such a bunch of fat shit morons. I can't even deal with them. And sometimes, you know, threads can be a little hard to follow. So yeah, I did have a little trouble following the logic of some of this, but... uh, yeah, you sounded about as lost as... As I was watching the finale of Lost with my husband years ago, and that was the only episode of Lost I had ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> we were, that sounds about right. We were dating. I was like, okay, whatever. If you really want to watch this tonight, fine. <laughs> I don't know. Was he... Yes, the most important question. Was he all right after the finale? Because no, he that, was, was, he, that was a doozy. He was pretty pissed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I feel him. Yeah. Yeah. You and him, you guys need to have some conversations. Yeah, we need to have a support group. <laughs> Lost, Game of Thrones. Me. <laughs> you. That's the biggest one. <laughs> all right, so let's dive into episode three here of Daredevil, shall we? Yeah. So we open up with, yet again, more bone crunching. (laughs) In my notes I've written, breaking protruding bones, Uh, hyphen Krista. Because just (laughs) just stay quiet, let us speak. And two, as somebody who grew up bowling a lot, it's just, oh, 
the thought of what a person can do with a bowling ball. Uh. Yeah, yeah, that's um, the splatter was quite well done. Yeah. So what's happening here is there is a mobster who's basically rented this bowling alley out for the night. And as Amy so definitely explained to me a little while ago, Fisk wants to take this guy out, wants to take over his interest because he had the audacity to say no to Wilson Fisk. Well, here's the thing. We don't know if he said no. The one line that we get from this dude while the hitman is trying to kill him is basically, so this is how he negotiates. Right. Okay. So we'll say he had the audacity to not completely acquiesce to to Fisk's will. That's fair. Yes. So death by bowling ball ensues. And I gotta say, this dude Healy is tougher than he looks. Yeah. And... He's rather deceptively nice. Yes. And you know why? He's got that lived in just construction dude look about him. He's kind of going bald. He's got a bit of a ruddy face. He's small. He doesn't look like he could do any damage. Yeah. He looks like your run of the mill average Joe. Yeah. And not only can he do some serious physical damage, he is a total psychopath. That he is. Yes. Yeah. And that is very apparent during the lawyer meeting with Foggy. Uh, so after he, after Healy bashes this mobster's brain in with the bowling ball, just getting stains all over his velour jumpsuit. That's the important part. Yeah, I don't recall what he was wearing. I just assume he's wearing velour as an Italian mobster. <laughs> He's so, not the Italian mobster. He's the hitman. I know. I'm saying, no, I'm saying he got it all over the mobsters, velour suit. Ah, I see. Okay. Yeah. So once Healy finishes the job, he just gives himself right up, lets the cops take him. Yeah. I have to say, you know, the bit where he pulls the gun out and it jams? Yeah. Dude jinxed himself. We see the flashback and we see him saying that it's going to jam and it jams. Well, it's not like he really needed it. No, but it would have certainly been cleaner. I think he actually got more satisfaction out of it using the bowling ball. That's true. Yeah, he got a lot of frustration out. Yeah. There are a few people I would bash in with the bowling ball, but that is not for this recording. I keep asking, and I'm going to keep asking because at this point, I feel like I'm complicit. Where <laughs> are the bodies, Amy? So after this, we move on to Matt outside the church. <sighs> so Matt's just, I want to be very clear here. Matt is just trying to mind his own goddamn business. I disagree. Why? He's sitting outside the church, knowing Matt, he's contemplating whether he should go in or not. <sighs> Maybe. Yeah. And then when the, f the father came out and sat down with him, the fact that the father recognized him and told him that whatever you say is confidential, yada, yada, it spooked Matt. That's why he left. Possibly. Depends on how astute that priest is, too. 
He's pretty astute. Now, I want to reiterate here from what we said in episode one. If this priest had just wanted to talk to Matt as a friend, just be there for support, you know, old friend kind of thing, that's fine. But as far as confession goes, he can go fuck himself. Well, that's what you say, but Matt would rather go into confession because of confidentiality. This actually, this conversation actually answered one of my questions, is that right at the beginning of the first episode, Matt is basically telling the priest that, dude, I'm going to hurt some people. And the priest did nothing. Yeah, that's the thing, though, is that that's not accurate. If a priest is aware that harm is going to be done, they are legally obligated to do something about it, to go to the police. If it's already been done, then according to their bullshit catechism, it's fine. It's the sanctity of confession. But if they know harm is going to be done, just like a psychiatrist, just like a psychologist, they have to report it. So that's why Matt's not specific. Right. Matt's not specific, which is fine as a lawyer makes sense but the priest basically said whatever you say stays confidential so matt would most certainly prefer confessing as opposed to just having a chat this is true i have to remember that matt kind of not enjoys but accepts this whole thing it kind of it always just takes me back it's like a triggering thing it takes me back to being an eight-year-old who was forced to make her first confession Can you explain to me this whole confession thing? Like, what's the big deal? So confession goes along with first communion. You know what that is? You have the little piece of bread or wafer or whatever. Yeah, that's supposed to represent Jesus's body and all that nonsense. Yeah, and the wine for the blood. Right. So you're supposed to go to confession right before you receive communion, like every time. So if somebody goes to church on Sunday, they're supposed to go to confession before the mass starts so that they can receive communion so that they've been absolved from everything and it's okay to let Jesus into their body. So it's typical to... Can you be less condescending? No, I cannot be less condescending. You didn't have to deal with this as a child. I've been (laughs) scarred. And this is my platform, damn it. So. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, I apologize. Anybody who was raised Catholic and left it knows exactly what I'm talking about. So. Yes. At about eight years old. And if this is triggering for anyone, please skip forward. (laughs) So it's typical at about eight years old for everybody, eight years old, second grade around then to go through their first communion. But to go through first communion, you've got to go through your first confession, which is you go into a confessional where you can like either you're completely invisible to the priest or there's like a a thing in between where you can sort of see each other, but not really. And you're supposed to tell them about all the bad shit that you do, all the things that are Catholic no-nos. And the priest is supposed to say, okay, my child, you are forgiven. I don't know why he's British all of a sudden, but. (laughs) And then they tell you to do a certain amount of penance. They'll be like, okay, uh, do 10 Hail Marys and five Our Fathers and, and two Apostles' Creed. I have no idea what their sliding scale is, how they come up with this. If they have a spreadsheet, I don't know. I think it's but, um, they choose. Dealer's choice. Yeah. So that's how it works. And, okay. Oh, 
most importantly, yeah, the seal of confession, as the priest says, is sacred. It is recognized by law. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Interesting. All right. Okay. Yeah. So, like, that's what I mean is if you confess to a priest that you've murdered somebody, they're under no obligation to go to the police. So long as you're forgiven by God. As they forgive you, yes. Your sins, on, right. on God's behalf. They're the so, middleman. They're the used car salesman of religion. That's a nice analogy. I think so. So, like Amy said, Matt gets a little spooked here, thinking this priest might be a little too astute, and is like, you know what? Uh, peace. I'm going to see you later. So now we get to meet Ben Urich for the first time, and I like this dude. Yeah, he's a nice dude. He's he's a very tired dude. Yeah. But yet very driven. Yes, he is exhausted. Ben Urich is a reporter for the New York Bulletin. I'm not sure if there is a comparable New York paper, maybe the Daily News. I assume the New York Bulletin was in the comics. Probably. Yeah. So Ben is on the docks meeting with a contact. Surprise, another old Italian mobster. Yeah, and this is where we get the sort of kind of backstory of the dude that was murdered. A little bit. Yeah. There's a lot of reading between the lines going on over here, both for Yurik and for the audience. So basically what we can figure out is that the Italian mobster who was bowling was kind of sort of in negotiation with Fisk, who shall not be named. And Fisk was unhappy. So he got him killed. This Italian mobster who is talking to Yurik is understandably spooked. Yeah, he's so spooked, he's even passing up the old Italian mobster's retirement plan, which is a witness protection. Yeah, which goes to show just how much Fisk is involved in everything. And we obviously see that moving forward a lot more, too. Yes, because let me tell you something, people. Nobody rolls faster than an Italian mobster. Honor (laughs) my ass. Yurik is kind of getting something from this guy, and he seems to understand that perhaps the guy in the mask is another player in this game. He's a mobster. He doesn't quite understand who is Matt. Yeah, Matt is misunderstood in a variety of different ways by a variety of different people. This is why he needs some proper branding. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta get a better costume, Maddie. Not only a costume, but some kind of slogan or something. I mean, hell, even Arrow has, you have failed this city. Yeah, he needs a publicist, really. Yeah, yeah. And some good photo ops, saving the babies. Like you did find him carrying the child super sexy. Your business acumen is showing. (laughs) (laughs) You're creating a marketing plan for a fictional character. uh, I have my flaws. (laughs) (laughs) So we leave the docks and I freaked out here because as I've said before, I do not remember anything about this show. Wesley shows up at Nelson and Murdoch. <laughs> like, what the fuck is happening right now? This is not right. This is not right. Your yeah. your 
spoiling the sanctity of this office. Seriously, with your confederated global investments nonsense, sir. (laughs) Now, I mean, they know this is obviously fishy from the start. But Foggy is too blinded by the money to realize that initially. He is. And you know what? I get it. I can totally understand. If somebody had shown me a whole bunch of zeros when I was in my 20s, shit, if somebody showed me a whole bunch of zeros now, you know, I it would be really hard for me to turn it down. Yeah, I get that. But what I really love about this scene is we get we get some important exposition here that's really well done. Which is? We find out just how smart Foggy and Matt really are. Yeah. That they, you know, one thing I've been having trouble with is like, okay, these guys were just recently interning. They only just opened up this practice. How old are they supposed to be? How fresh are they out of school? So we do get some exposition here that they are both Columbia graduates and Matt specifically graduated summa cum laude. Right. So he managed to do that. And for those who aren't familiar, summa cum laude means he had a GPA, a grade point average of 3.75 or above. Okay. So no, no slouch here. And God knows what he was doing at night, you know? (laughs) That's true. But although it does seem to be a recent development, because up until recently, nobody had known about the guy in the black mask. Yeah, but he still had to be doing a lot of training. Yeah, that's for sure. And that takes time. Yeah. So at this point, I wasn't quite sure what Fisk's plan is. And I think that's part of it. It's like, you know, they're keeping Matt and Foggy off balance and they're keeping the audience off balance, too. So Wesley is basically hiring Matt and Foggy to defend Healy, the guy who killed the mobster with the bowling ball. Right. Matt is understandably suspicious of this guy. Foggy, he's 100% on board simply because of the money. I agree that they did the exposition well. It was succinct and interesting, and it had that emotional charge. It did not get boring because of all the, all the tension in the room. But my quibble is with Wesley. Okay. Dude is a professional. He's a snake. He gets what he wants. I don't think if someone is being suspicious of you, the best thing you can do is rattle off their entire history and all their dirty little secrets, including the secretaries, who isn't even being paid. I think that's ego. Yeah, but if you want to convince a bunch of do-gooders that they're on the right side, despite the fact that they're getting a lot of money, at least pretend to be nice. I don't think he can help it. I think his default is intimidation and sliminess. He can't help it to a degree. And I think he also does want to put a little fear in them. I think it's it's like the carrot and the whip. Here's the money. So here, we're being nice to you. But at the same time, here's the goddamn money. You better take it. You know what I'm saying? That's the way Fisk knows. He only knows how to bully and threaten and intimidate. So even something like this, they can't help themselves. Right. Okay. Fair enough. But you can see that Wesley is trying. He's just failing miserably. Well, I think part of it is too, 
we're so powerful, we don't have to hide it. That's a good point. We can do this because we're that powerful. We can have this guy killed in public in a bowling alley and get away with it. It's part of the whole point, like you said. Hmm. That's a good point. Okay. Now, it starts out with Foggy being fully on board and Matt being the suspicious one. But after they meet with their quote-unquote client, the tables turn. Yeah. Foggy's not as brave as he would like to be at this point. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if it's brave. I think it's about the fact that it's conflicting with his ethics. Yeah, he's worried about the firm's reputation. He's, the sticker shock has worn off a little bit. Yeah. And the fact that Healy basically asks him, what do you think will sound better? Goes to show that He's not remorseful. He's just trying to win his case. And that was the biggest red flag. Yeah, he's 100% guilty, 100% coached, and is doing nothing to hide it. Just the opposite. He's just like Wesley. He's showing them like, yep, I did this. Yeah. And he ends up telling Foggy that it doesn't matter who has hired you, the checks are going to clear. Right. So it's Matt who decides they're going to take the case because he wants to get to the bottom of this. Yeah. But here's the thing. I got a little pissed off at Matt over here. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. He can be a bully too, can't he? Yeah. He's not a very good partner, which I say with very minimal partner experience. (laughs) I'm a better partner with than him. Oh, a thousand percent. No question. Thank Um, you. At least I don't go bashing people up. No, when you come up with crazy ideas like that, I get on board out of my own free will. (laughs) But Matt totally strong arms Foggy here. But you know what? At the same time, it's also on Foggy to stand up for himself. Yeah. And I think this is the crux of their relationship. Whatever Matt says goes. And Matt is so adept at pacifying Foggy. We see that in the conversation after... Uh, the meeting with the client when they go back to the office that Matt just basically agrees with whatever Foggy is saying, yet he is manipulating him to do what he wants to be done. Yeah, because Matt thinks he knows best always. And that's a problem. Yeah. And that is something that comes up later on. Yeah. Yeah. So we head over to the offices of the New York Bulletin where Poor Ben Urich is very frustrated. Yeah. He is sniffing out this story about Union Allied, trying to get sources, trying to dig deeper into this whole conglomerate, but he has zero support. Yeah, which honestly has me conflicted because on one hand, Urich is trying to do the right thing. He wants to get corruption rooted out, expose what's going on and... Try and solve the issue. He doesn't realize just how deep this conspiracy goes and just how far into the various authorities they're involved in. Right. He can only see the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Question here, because I don't remember moving forward. Is his boss in on it? Is his boss on the take and trying to squash the story? Okay. I couldn't tell. No, no. He is genuinely trying to save the newspaper. Okay. And I like this place because they're like, it's it's that feeling of old timey reporters, you know, when reporters actually did their jobs. 
Yeah, exactly. So that's the kind of conflict that they're building. On one hand, you have this old school, hard hitting reporter in a new media kind of thing. So the business side of me is saying you need to evolve. You can do the hard hitting stuff, but you need to evolve in order to be profitable, which is what the editor is trying to do. This is really bringing out the business owner in you. I know, right? (laughs) I don't know anymore if this is a Marvel podcast or am I slowly morphing this into a business podcast? (laughs) Don't worry, I'll keep you on track. So Yurik is having none of that, which is incredibly short-sighted of him. If he wants to do the hard-hitting journalism, anybody who knows that this is something that you learn as soon as you get into any kind of career. If you want to do the hard-hitting stuff, you also have to do the other stuff, the unexciting, not sexy grunt work. So Yurik has to learn that he needs to balance this out. He can't just go for his passion. But at the same time, he's right. He's right. I'm not saying he's not. But he also needs to learn how to balance it. But I feel like he I feel like he has been doing that. He has been doing other fluff pieces because if he wasn't, if he was refusing to do those, he wouldn't still have a job. Yeah, true. That's true. Yeah. I think he's just looking for a little faith here and a little room to work. Yeah. And I think they're emphasizing more on it at this point because they want to they want us to connect with him. And to understand what kind of a guy he is, that way we know that he is going to, he's like a dog with a bone. He's not going to let go the minute Karen shows up. Accurate analogy, I could attest. (laughs) Yeah, so speaking of Karen, we leave one office and head over to another. So Karen is meeting with the union allied legal team here. And they're basically threatening her with litigation for breaking a non-disclosure agreement that she signed when she took a job there. Yeah. Okay. I have to say this. The name Karen has been completely and utterly been spoiled for me. (laughs) When you said Karen now, I just... Poor Karen. It's not her fault. Yeah. Yeah. She's She's been been tarnished. For no fault. (laughs) You know, I actually was... That's the thing about the comics, is that at the time that the comics were written, Karen was a common name for that age group. Mm-hmm. It's not anymore. Yeah, it would have made more sense. It would have made more sense for her to be a Jennifer or a Samantha, something like that. But they didn't have a choice. They got to keep the same character name. So now she ends up having a more old fashioned name for her age. Yeah, but not only that, but the name Karen has become such a I know, but I'm saying they couldn't they couldn't change it. And there there was nothing they could do. I I get that. I'm not disagreeing with you. But the the meme the Karen meme has come up in the last couple of years before Daredevil came out. Yeah, it's just bad luck for her. After Daredevil came out. Bad luck for her. Yeah. So the lawyers are trying to strong arm her into signing another non-disclosure agreement and they're really pushing her to sign by giving her like you said the carrot and the whip the carrot is the money right and the whip is the threat of legal action and i think legal action here is a euphemism for you will be killed they tried once 
yeah, they tried once, but I don't think uh, that didn't occur to me because this is not union allied the company. This is an outsourced legal team. Oh, they know they're working for the devil. That is true. Everybody mm. working for Al Pacino back in 1997 knew they were working for the devil. They know it here mm. too. Mm. Okay, perhaps, yeah. And also, even if they aren't threatening to kill her, legal action in itself is scary enough. Very true. Yeah, I can easily destroy a person's life. Yeah. So then we get a few more minutes with Ben here where we find out he's not only very frustrated at work, but he's dealing with some major issues in his personal life as well. Yeah. His wife is suffering from some kind of long-term illness, not sure what, and he's he's hitting some kind of roadblocks with insurance in regards to getting her into a long-term care facility. Yeah, so he tries his best to get the administrator in, in the hospital to help out in some way. And he has a little nice little thing that shows what kind of a person he is. He got her the little treat that she enjoys, but he didn't give it to her first. He gave it to her after she helped him. Otherwise, that could That's be right. considered as a uh, that could be considered a bribe. But instead of a thank you, yes. Well, this tells us a few th important things about Ben. One, he loves his wife. Two, yeah. he has a pressure point, a big one. And three, this man is under tremendous amounts of stress. Yeah, one look at him can tell you that. Yeah, yeah. You just know he's got an ulcer the size of a pancake in his gut. <laughs> I want to know, where are the Rolaids? Why are we not seeing him chomping Rolaids the way John McClane downs aspirins in Die Hard? If it were up to you, I think all the characters in all our shows slash movies would have a bulk supply of Rolaids, wouldn't they? Well, yeah. I mean, speaking of aspirin ibuprofen something we never see matt taking any kind of anti-inflammatory if anybody could use one jesus yeah that's true i think these movies and shows it would be really smart for these companies to sponsor them like product placement instead of cars get these get these things in at least they make sense in the story <laughs> don't give them any more ideas for product placement please <laughs> So now we head over to this kangaroo court that Matt and Foggy have gotten themselves into. And like, I know they skipped some stuff to go straight to the trial and whatnot, but this is a full on law and order style style trial. No waiting. Instant. Yeah. And you call it a kangaroo court, but in Matt's defense, he's trying really, really hard to make this a fair fight. Yeah, it's the, the thing is, they have to do their jobs. Yeah. So during the trial, using his super senses, Matt can tell that one of the jurors is very nervous. Her heart rate is out of control. And the look on her face clearly indicates she's under duress and she is being blackmailed. And her heart races the minute Wesley shows up. Yeah. Yeah, clearly he was the one who showed her the old pictures of her naked stripping, some kind of sexual act, it turns out, that she doesn't want her yeah. children to find out about. Yeah. So her job is to swing the jury to not guilty. Or at the very least, 
a hung jury. A hung jury, right. So Matt does get her out of it. Uh, she's being followed on the street. He catches up with the henchman and in his usual fashion, beats the shit out of him. Yeah, the the henchman is actually kind of nice to this lady. <laughs> Did you notice that? Yeah, polite for a goon. Yeah, I I have a note over here in my document that says the criminals are very understanding in the show. <laughs> well, some are. Yeah, well, they're really polite. They want to kill you, but they'll smile before they kill you. I think it's pretty much just that guy. No, that guy, Wesley. Wesley's there is nothing nice about Wesley. What are you talking about? That's a he, crocodile smile. Exactly. That, He's polite. That's a chill your that's a chill your blood smile. I don't no, yeah. see. No. I don't find that I don't find him polite. Let me rephrase. He's attempting to be polite and civil. Yeah, but it's a veneer. With this guy you're talking yes. about on the street. This is a guy who I don't think is a sociopath. I think this is a guy who thinks he's doing something not so terrible. He's not actually physically hurting someone. He doesn't want to hurt this woman. He probably feels sorry for her. This isn't an evil person. Yeah, true. He's in a tough situation. He's being exploited himself. I don't know about that. He's He has a job. He's doing the job. Yeah, but why does he have the job is the question. Gambling debts, who's he into? Why is he being, you know, he's being for, I think he even says that to Matt, that he is also be, like being forced to do this. I think he said something along the lines of he's afraid that if he doesn't do it, somebody else will. So the less of the two evils. Right. And he's doing it in a nicer way. Right. No, with Wesley, I don't see any of that as polite or civil. With him... It's he, everything he says is just dripping with condescension and yeah. implied threats. Yeah. There's nothing civil or polite about that. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's surface level. Yeah. He's just a thug with polish. Yeah. I think he might actually be a worse person than Fisk. I agree. Okay. Fisk is a guy you see what you get. Now, I personally think, and we're going to save this for a couple episodes later, so stay tuned, guys. But I think there is actually a person on this show who is worse than everybody, who is worse than Fisk and Wesley. But we'll get to that in a few weeks. Or I think I know who you're talking about. So stay tuned with us for that potential debate. So there was a time in my life when before I had FBI aspirations, I had wanted to be a lawyer. You just love crime in all its ways, don't you? I do. I do. Even when I was in the fourth grade, when I was nine years old, I was a lawyer for Halloween. <laughs> I had a little okay. suit on. I don't know where the suit came from. I think it was my great aunt's suit because it it was light pink and it was, I think, wool and it was just incredibly uncomfortable. And she was a tiny lady and I was a large nine-year-old. So <laughs> it sort of fit. And I had like some kind of briefcase and I had like fake glasses on like Chris Hemsworth and Ghostbusters when he just pulls the lenses out. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I was, because so many nine-year-olds are lawyers. I had, oh, so many friends, as you can probably tell. Anyway, moving on. I want to see this picture. Oh, I don't have any. You say that, but I think you do. You're just saying that. So I've always enjoyed legal shows, legal dramas, and I love this whole scene. Matt's closing statement is excellent. Yeah, it is. He is simultaneously accusing his client and saving his client. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. He even manages to hint to his own quote-unquote justice outside of the walls of the courtroom. Yeah. Do you think, I sort of got this vibe just a little bit, that Matt plays on his blindness to get sympathy from the jury and have that sympathy transferred to his client? Sure, yeah. Any good lawyer would do that. Oh, that's so wrong. True. It's just facts. Ugh. Ugh. See, and that's one of the reasons I ultimately decided I never wanted to be a lawyer. I don't have the stomach for it. So while the jury is deliberating, we find Karen outside of a brownstone that belongs to the wife of Daniel Fisher, the guy who was murdered in her apartment. I actually liked her dress in the scene. Oh, Karen's? Yeah, Karen always looks nice. At least compared to the previous episode, previous two episodes, she's looking a lot more put together. Yes. So she's trying to get Fisher's wife to work with her to also speak up about Union Allied and, you know, Karen just kind of assumes that this woman will want to take them down for murdering her husband. But this is one of those times where I will admit it's different when somebody has kids. Yeah, that's true. And also it takes a lot of spine to go up against a company like this. God, yes. I mean, all the guy did, all the guy did was voice a few suspicions. She even says like something he was telling me something was off and they killed him. Yeah, so for her to actually be willing to take that on is scary as hell. And it's, of course, scary for Karen as well, but she's still willing to do that. Right, but she also hasn't lost her husband because of it. Yeah, true. She almost lost her own life. Yeah, but it's an impossible thing that she's asking of this woman because they've already killed her husband. They'll kill her kids in a finger snap. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, I get it. I completely understand where uh, the wife is coming from. Yeah. Yeah, I can't fault her. Yeah. So she admits she already signed the NDA and advises Karen to do the same. Yeah. But Karen is still conflicted about that. Yeah, definitely. So now we head back over to the courthouse where Matt knows right away something is wrong at the reading of the verdict. Yeah, because he again can hear the heartbeat of the forewoman and knew immediately that even though he tried to get an honest jury, they still managed to get someone compromised. Right. So it's not a not guilty verdict. What it is, is a hung jury. And for anybody unfamiliar uh, who's not the nerd that I am about this sort of thing, that means that the jury came to a deadlock where they were split. They were split down the middle of guilty and not guilty. And they cannot reach an agreement, so it is declared a mistrial and the defendant is released. 
And then the state will have an opportunity if they want to, to present the case again and go to trial again. So correct me if I'm wrong. If he's released, he's free to go and do whatever he wants. In this case, yes. Okay, he would not have been kept in custody till the state decides if they want to retry. I think it depend. It might depend on the state. I'm not sure. Honestly, he might have gotten bail and Union Ally just paid it through one of their shell companies. I'm not sure. Doesn't bail happen as soon as you get arrested? Yeah, but I'm not sure how it works after a after a mistrial. Okay. It depends. That's some real league, technical legal mumbo jumbo. And this is a fictional world anyway. So the important thing is this dude gets out and he's just out and about free to go. Right. Primed for Matt to do his thing. Yeah. Whew. So, <laughs> oh, give me a minute here, people. Got to gear up for this one. So Matt finds Healy. And they go, uh, head to head. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm laughing at my own joke. <laughs> you go right ahead. <laughs> Look what I did there. See? Yeah. <laughs> They're beating the shit out of each other for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. And uh, Matt gets the better of him. And he wants a name. That's all he wants. Right. Right. And he gets one. Yeah. And we finally hear the name Wilson Voldemort. Fisk. <laughs> oh, it's Wilson Fisk? I thought it was Voldemort. Well, he sh- too shall not be named. We need to talk about that for a minute. Mm-hmm. I like this. I like it a lot. I liked it in Harry Potter. I like it in this. The more afraid you are to say the name of something, the scarier it becomes. Right. It's an intimidation tactic. You can see how afraid Fisk has everyone. Yeah. He can't craft a spell where an alarm goes off anytime somebody says his name. But the network he has set up is good enough. And you also see just how strong his grip is. Figuratively, in this sense, yes. Yes, figuratively. And Healy impaled himself... Just because he gave up his name. That, yeah, that is beyond an iron grip. That is one of the most gruesome fucking things I have ever seen. Really? This guy just rammed his, what do you mean really? He rammed his head down on a metal (laughs) spike. Really? Himself. That's the key thing. Yeah. Yeah. Voluntarily. Yeah. Yeah. He headbutted a metal spike. No, it's not impressive. (laughs) What is wrong with you today? I'm feeling rather murderous today. Apparently. (laughs) It's impressive how scared he is. Let me finish. Yeah. All right. And it's impressive how strong Fisk is. Again, no, wait, no, no. You're not getting away with that because you're complimenting the monster again. You can't deny he... Hmm, no. It's scary. It's the, not impressive. 
it's no, impressive yeah, no, in its uh, purest. You're caught up. You're caught up in this one, Missy. You can't pull that no. foot back out of your throat because you get on me with this all the time, telling me how awful I am when I compliment Loki on being a villain. But I yeah, let you're you. You're cooked. You're cooked. I let you defend yourself. <laughs> It's impressive in its its purest form of the word. Not impressive like, oh my God, he is so amazing. But impressive is that how good he is at being a monster and how good he is at scaring the life out of people. Yeah, and we can see that clearly on Matt's face too. He is as shocked as I was. Yeah. And for more gruesome stuff, you really need to watch Bones. No. No, thank you. I attempted to watch that show. No, thank you. So this episode closes with finally the first appearance of Wilson Fisk. Yes. And Vanessa. Yeah. So I want to say a couple things here. One, Vincent D'Onofrio is a fantastic actor. Beyond amazing. Two, Vincent D'Onofrio is also a terrifying human being. <laughs> <laughs> he is massive. That is true. I am fairly certain that he could squeeze my head like a grapefruit and kill me. He's got like bear paws for hands. Hmm. Yeah. Which Vanessa certainly enjoys. Oh, just wait. I have things to say about Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to put this out there. I don't know how you guys are going to react. But I love Fisk and Vanessa's relationship. I'm not saying it's a super healthy, good relationship to aspire to, but the, the chemistry between the two of them is amazing. Oh, rest assured, listeners, we are going to have discussions about this. Oh, yeah. She is going to be screeching in several and episodes, I'm sure. But there is something about them. And the way Fisk responds to her, it's just, it's incredible. I love it. And I know how that makes me look. I don't care. I love it. You think? You think? <laughs> Did you notice that the first time we meet Fisk, from all that you've heard about him and everything that's been implied, don't you expect to see a monster? Instead, we see this vulnerable dude who is trying to impress a girl. I see a monster with a scared little boy inside of him, but a monster nonetheless. That's a nice way of putting it, yes. And the only person he lets show that scared little boy is Vanessa. Yeah, the whole bald factor also really factors in. He wouldn't be half as scary if he had hair. Yeah, that's true. And also the character in the comics was bald. Yeah. All right, so that's where we leave off on Daredevil Episode 3. So if anyone else is as smitten as me with Vanessa and Fisk's relationship, please come help me, give me some support, and join us on Twitter or Instagram at Marvel Madams. Thanks to all you madams for joining us today. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm a smitten Madam Amy. Join us next week for Season 1, Episode 4 of Daredevil. And Amy's relationship intervention. La 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 la, not listening to you. 
But if you guys enjoy listening to us and you'd like an exclusive bonus episode about how we met and started the podcast, join our email list and we'll send you the link. Sign up on our website, themarvelousmadams.com, where infinity stones are a girl's best friend. I love her. <laughs> you wanted, a, yeah, yeah, no, 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 I swear <laughs> to you, no, you're so full of shit, she I is love, your type, she's, yes, she's my type, but I love their relationship, I don't know what it is, but, my god, oh my god, I love it, okay, please stay single, Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> there is nothing healthy about that relationship, it is. It is healthy. They're supportive okay, you know of what? each other. No, no, no. Supportive. Jesus. <laughs> okay. You need to snip out this piece of recording here and send it to me so that I can play this for every potential partner you ever have. <laughs> they need to hear this. I will add this. Not only do I think Vanessa and Fisk's relationship is, I don't know what it is about it, but I just love it. But I also love the Underwoods relationship, at least the first couple seasons, the first two seasons from House of Cards. I am having second thoughts about this partnership. 